you can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome. I got my mojo. To the Mojo Radio Show. But it just won't work on you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you on the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. Lots happening this week. Consider the show like your Mojo University, like you're doing a degree. And this week, we're going to dig into psychology, the imposter syndrome. But before we do that, let's just check in with the man behind the wheel of the bus. He's the driver. He's wearing the beige overalls and the torp cap. (laughs) Robbo, way too much coffee this morning. Absolutely. What's going on, mate? How's your week been? My, my week's been awesome. First game of footy for the season ticked off on Friday night with a win for the Withered Oaks, so that was nice. The Withered Oaks. The Withered Oaks, that's us. Now, for our international guests, we're talking rugby. Talking rugby uh, union, yes, specifically. What, what position did you play in the Withered Oaks? As my dad would say, I was lucky not to play left right out, um, but on Friday night I was playing in the second row, in the second row of the scrum. So we're talking second row and we're mm. talking old boys rugby, aren't we? We are. We're talking grown men's rugby, yes, indeed. Little, a few little rugby. modified rules, but still lots of heavy contact and stuff. I'm a bit bruised and battered yeah. this morning. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk it up, mate. We get it. We get it, mate. Don't talk up the heavy hits. The heavy, uh, hits would have been, well, the heavy hits would have been in the dressing room afterwards. Yeah, the heavy, yeah, the heavy hits were the, the tinnies. tinnies. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. tinnies in the sheds afterwards. That's right. All yeah. right. Well, from one sporting legend to another, we had news during the week, very exciting news and thankfully safe news. Lisa Blair, who was a guest on our show only a matter of a week mm. or so ago, the adventurer sailor, a wonderful young lady who is sailing around Antarctica. She's circumnavigating Antarctica and she, when we spoke to her, she was about to take on what they called the Everest of sailing, which was going around Cape Horn. Her management sent me a note only a day or two ago saying she has successfully gotten around Cape Horn uh, in one piece and safe and she's on the final leg home. Now, when I say final leg home, that's going to take... It's still like 30 days or something, right? (laughs) Yeah, 30 or days. But uh, when we spoke to her, it did sound all chipper and everything else. But when you read about what she was about to do with the currents and the water and the lives that piece of ocean has taken... Uh, I was pretty damn happy to hear she got around it because it, uh, and just sort of top lady. So we'll catch up with her when she finally gets back. Yeah, congratulations, Lisa. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, this week on the show, we have a very interesting topic and it's probably something that everybody suffers with. It's the imposter syndrome. We're going to dig into that with Suzanne Mercier. I've known Suzanne for, gee, maybe 15 odd years. We did a speaking job together many, many years ago and I've been following her travels and Suzanne's got an interesting backstory, but has specialised in, you know, that, that negative voice in the back of your mind that holds you back or creates doubt in your mind? Mm. That's the imposter. So we're going to dig into that right now. We have Suzanne on the phone. Suzanne, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you, Gary. It's lovely to talk to you as well. It has been a while. Now, to introduce you to our listening audience, can you just give us a little idea of the sort of work you do day to day and who you'd be likely to be working with or for? Sure. Um, I 
um, uh, do a, a range of things. But um, the thing that I'm uh, very passionate about is um, coaching, helping people understand their mindset and understand how that impacts the results that they get. And the area that I work in most specifically is the imposter syndrome. And the reason that's something I'm so excited about is because I um, was um, at the effect of the imposter syndrome for more than 20 years and had a huge impact on my career. So I do my best to help other people recognize it and get past it so it doesn't derail them the way it did me in my earlier years. And we're going to spend our time on that today because it's it's a topic that Robbo and I have been talking to guests of all sorts for a couple of years now and we want mm-hmm. to delve into it today. I just want to start by something that was on the front page of your website. It said, Suzanne provides a path to recognize and step up to our own potential. And I just wanted to start with something I'm curious about. How how does a person recognize their own potential? Um, <laughs> the reason I ask that is because, you know, from when we were a kid, uh, as a leader in a business or somebody working anywhere, we're always saying to other people, oh, man, you could do it and believe in your dreams. You've got so much potential, particularly to children. Having done the work you've done in the areas you've worked in, how do I, how do I know or believe that I have that potential? What a great question. And um, uh, absolutely, it's, uh, it's the perfect one to ask. Um, I think that uh, in, in our earlier years, our potential is kind of reflected back to us by other people. They see that we have the capability to do something. They see we pick up new ideas quickly. They see that we master skills quickly or whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, and that certainly would be part of it. Um, when it comes from our very close um, uh, caregivers like our parents or people that have raised us, there's a touch of love there as well that, that they see the best in us. Um, and I think the challenge for each of us is that we don't see ourselves that way. Um, and I was reading something recently written about whether the millennials experience the imposter syndrome. And part of their challenge, uh, and each generation has different challenges, but the same sort of outcome. And part of their challenge is that they are told they can do absolutely anything, but on the other hand, they're criticized when they don't. So um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's an, an external focus, it's a real double bind. Um, but I think it's an external um, uh, feedback and and then we kind of check in, uh, in with ourselves to see whether that's something that we can live up to. And and sometimes it's um, the expectation, sometimes they're projected um, uh, desires that were not fulfilled in our own parents' lives or whatever it might happen to be. So there's lots of reasons people tell us that we can step up and we have much more potential. Um um, but the, the challenge for most of us is that there is a mismatch between what other people think that we're capable of and what we think we're capable of. And that's what I mean by step up to your potential. First of all, we have to see what that is. Um, and, and when we talk a bit more about the imposter syndrome, uh, one of the things that we do is we deny our talents. So we do need to see what we can do. And then we can decide for ourselves what we want to do. And, and that may be... Um, us living up to our potential. And, and I think that that's a matter of choice for each of us. So we had Melissa Ambrosini on the show maybe two or three months ago, and Melissa talks about the mean girl. And the mm-hmm. mean girl is that voice that I guess we all have. I mean, Robbo had his mean girl, but uh, we all have our mean girl. <laughs> and probably in... maybe call it psychological circles, people talk about this imposter syndrome. Could you just define 
for us specifically? What do we mean when we say imposter syndrome? Okay. Um, it's the feeling of not being good enough, essentially. Um, I mean, it, it is uh, the symptoms show up as feeling like a fake and a fraud. So I don't feel that I'm as good as everybody else seems to think that I am. Uh, I focus, if I'm experiencing it, I focus on my weaknesses and my failures, not my strengths and successes. If I am successful, first of all, I may do my best to deny that I had anything to do with it, wanting to sort of um, attribute the, um, the the cause elsewhere. Um, but also, if I uh, and I don't necessarily see what it is that I can do, and if I do, because I feel that I'm not good enough, I actually think that what I can do can't exactly be rocket science. So I dismiss its value, uh, and uh, and the upshot of that is is like it's, it's like everything. It's not what you have; it's what you do with it. And and for many people who experience the imposter syndrome, what that causes them to do is go into um, a fearful self-protect mode, which stops them from um, living and, and doing and making the contribution that they could make if they weren't in that space. That's a very quick summary. How debilitating can this be? Um, well, I'll, I'll share my story, which will give you a great example of that, just very briefly. Um, about 20 years ago, I walked away from um, a role as the director of George Touch Advertising, and I was the first woman on the board. And for me, the day that I actually got the promotion, I thought I was going to be fired. I thought that I had done such a bad job that they were uh, going to frog march me off the property. Uh, so I just did not see um, that I was doing anything of any great value. And um, and I sat on the board for a couple of years, but then the stress of me um, feeling that I certainly wasn't measuring up um, it got to me and I, I left before they could fire me, which was all in my head. Um, and so I um, I actually um, think that it can be it can be a complete derailer um, as it was for me, and it took me many years to realise what was actually going on, and that while the feeling of being uncomfortable um, was real, the reality was that, uh, the feeling of being uh, not good enough was real. It was a feeling, but it, it wasn't the reality. So I think that. Um, uh, it can be incredibly debilitating. People experience it to different levels depending on um, the way that they've been raised and the things that they are sensitive to uh, because it sits there latent um, until something in our external environment actually impacts us and creates a feeling of personal uncertainty and that's when we go into that feeling of not being good enough. You look back now and you reflect on it, 20-odd years of it. What what did it really cost you when you when you think about it, Suzanne, of those 20 years and you think about specific instances where that imposter syndrome was a part of your world, what do you think it cost you in those two decades? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, huge cost. Uh, I mean, if I start just with the financial cost, I walked away from a pretty um, high six-figure salary at the time and multiply that by 20 years and you're looking at millions. Um, but that's, that was only a very small part of it. I think what it cost me across the, the time was that I didn't market myself very effectively. I wasn't very good at saying, look, I can do this for you. I can, I, I, and, and I couldn't see the value that I could bring to clients. So I wound up second guessing myself. I wound up pulling back. I, I would um, give away far too much, um, thinking that if they could see that I could do this, they just might give me the work. Um, and you know, I, I really did uh, uh, pull the ground out from under my own feet. Um, so, yeah, it had significant impact. It actually, um, I, I pulled back from some quite significant opportunities that I could have had that might, might have changed the course of what I did. Uh, and, you know, to, to be honest, it, you know, I use that expression with some of my clients that being in your own business is 
the best personal development program you'll ever do, and it certainly has been that. So, so there have been some, um, some challenges, but there have also been some quite positive points to it as well. Uh, I think that um, the fact that I experienced the imposter syndrome has caused me to go into that space and, and really explore mindsets and how powerful they are in relation to performance, the outcomes that we achieve, the future that we want to set up for ourselves. So, yeah, it's been a pretty amazing ride for 20 years. There's gold right there. That's gold. Gold in that there advertising agency (laughs) 30-second spot. Um, Do you know what's going to be interesting with this? And I hadn't planned to go here, but hearing you say that, something that occurs to me, and this uh, is a nice segue back to a show maybe two or three weeks ago, we had Christopher J. Reid on the show, Suzanne, and he is mm-hmm. one of the foremost influencers on LinkedIn in the world. And wow. he has got his LinkedIn game happening big time. And mm-hmm. I interviewed Chris for an hour on LinkedIn, how to use it properly, how to use it as a business tool. And I've got to say that the people who took the time to listen to the show have emailed or rung me or commented online about how powerful it has been to their business. Mm-hmm. Where I'm going with this is I think that something we don't think about when we think about the imposter syndrome is the comment you made is we don't market ourselves very well. And I think that is going to be a very profound takeout for people because Robbo and I were talking about this just last week between ourselves in the studio that when you are writing your own profile, or as Christopher J. Reed said, when you are creating your own personal brand, you have to skite about yourself. You have to promote yourself. You've got to treat yourself as a brand. I'm hearing you now say that one of the costs of the imposter syndrome is we don't promote, we don't create ourselves as a really powerful brand. I reckon that's going to really affect people's LinkedIn profile and what they say or do. And secondly, when they're putting themselves in front of a client or a business leader, gee, that must be costing people so much potential. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Uh, I mean, I can use a classic example. I didn't even realize it was the imposter syndrome at the time, but when I left George Pat's, I was pretty much a branding expert at that stage. And I um, developed all of my marketing materials on the basis of feedback that I've got from people, beautiful marketing materials. And I get out of a meeting, a presentation to a, um, a potential new client, and I think, why didn't I give them my brochure? And um, and I realized afterwards that it was, um, that I, while I recognized these were my, you know, my capabilities logically, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it in my heart and in my soul. So I felt like a fake to actually hand them across. Um, it felt like it was false promising. So um, it, it is quite challenging. And, and I think that what happens is that we have to we have to find a way to recognize that each one of us is amazing. Each one of us offers um, you know, skills and capabilities and the combination of those that other people don't. And so it's, it's not a personal thing sometimes. It can actually just be, well, is this the right fit? But when we feel like we're imposters, we do take it personally and we take it as a rejection and we think, oh, my goodness, I'm not good enough, and it, was, it confirms that cycle. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to get past, and that's one of the, the really obvious um, symptoms and, and, and outcomes of feeling not good enough. Do you reckon that's a bit of an Aussie thing? Or do you reckon that's global? No. Because Aussies, we always undersell ourselves as Aussies, don't we? Yeah, 
we do. Um, and, you know, um, and commercially we don't like other people overselling themselves. So um, that, that part's probably the Aussie thing. But it, it, this is part of the symptom and the, of, of the syndrome, and the syndrome is actually an international syndrome. Somebody once asked me if people in underdeveloped countries experience it as well, and the answer is yes. You know, it, it, it's not a question of whether a country is developed or not, or whether it's, it's more a question of whether... As an individual, I'm um, I'm feeling um, uncomfortable because I'm sitting in a space that I'm not used to, and um, you know, some people might say it's sitting outside your comfort zone. And for some people, that's okay because what you do is you get used to that being in that space. You know, you overcome the concern of being um, in doing something new, uh, and then that becomes part of who you are, and you expand your comfort zone. For people who have the imposter syndrome, though, that doesn't happen because we don't um, we don't see our role in the uh, in the success that we've had or in that that opportunity, and so. Um, we feel very stressed and very uncomfortable um, sitting in that space. We don't, we don't actually expand our comfort zone. We just remain feeling very uncomfortable. How does it feel? Tell me a typical day of somebody who's struggling with this. What does it feel like? What are you saying to yourself? What are you doing? I've only been working in this space for about eight years, um, but the journey has been a lot longer than that. It was, it was eight years ago I realised what was going on. Um, so for me, um, to stand up on a stage and speak is um, something that I never thought that I would do. I'm a bit of an introvert and I find that quite challenging. So um, probably the, the, the worst experience that I ever had of that was actually standing on the stage. And um, a woman in the audience um, you know, threw her hand up in the air and she said, um, oh, I'm a psychologist and I want to know. And she was really aggressive. And uh, I want to know, you know, is this something that we experience in, in countries around the world, which is probably why that was top of mind when I spoke earlier. And in that moment, I had, I was completely struck by fear. I had, I was paralyzed. My head was filled with white noise. I am sure I did my very best Elmer Fudd impression. Like, the, 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 and I was standing there and it felt like forever. Uh, and I, uh, I'm sure it was only about 30 seconds, but it felt like ages. And I've been working on the imposter syndrome stuff probably for about two or three years at that stage. And I suddenly realized that like, the fog cleared and I suddenly realized what had happened. And I started laughing. <laughs> I said, thank you so much. You've just given me the opportunity to give you a wonderful demonstration of the imposter syndrome in action. And uh, and I, I then went on to explain why I had been triggered and uh, and then answered her question. Uh, but in that moment, um, I was I was I was just trying to board it. I was I was I was just so um, caught up in that fear in, in, and making a complete fool of myself and being rejected um, that I, I wasn't able to answer. It was a, a very traumatic experience. Is the imposter syndrome? a stepping stone to depression and or anxiety? Um, there is a relationship with anxiety and, and depression. Um, the, the fact that when we experience the imposter syndrome, uh, you know, we, we're trying to project a, a better version of ourselves in our own minds uh, for other people, and there's a significant amount of stress involved in holding that in place. Um, we also might get anxious when we think about situations that, that potentially could expose us as not being good enough. Um, and there is an association with depression that I don't think it's cause and effect, not as far as I'm aware anyway. It's not like the imposter syndrome causes depression. I think sometimes people who have depression may also experience imposter syndrome, but I, that's, that's, I'm, I'm not really qualified to answer that any further than that. 
But yeah, there definitely is an association, and uh, you know it can be pretty debilitating. You know, you you sort of think that who well, I'll give me an example. I thought in the past that who I was wasn't good enough, so I became very good at looking at what people wanted from me or wanted from somebody in my situation or my role, and giving it to them. So um, it, it causes uh, us to become um, less authentic, if you like, uh, because we're holding this mask in place. So yeah, it's pretty a pretty anxious or anxiety-ridden syndrome. Eight years on, what's in your toolbox that Suzanne goes to to ensure that the imposter syndrome doesn't take a hold of you today? Um, great question. Thank you. Uh, basically... When I first experienced the imposter syndrome, I recognized what it was. The things that bothered me then um, were things that aren't even on my radar today. So you get to handle, um, you know, the, 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 the situations as they come up. So what what's happened for me over the last eight years is that uh, I've been able to look at what triggers me into feeling not good enough. And for all of us, it's a very um, different variety of things. As I said earlier, depending on our sensitivity, it might be around education. It might be around somebody's personal style. It might be around working for somebody who's a micromanager. It might be um, uh, uh, the way that um, somebody communicates or it might be being left out or not heard or whatever it happened to be. Um, those are triggers that um, can, when we experience them, can cause us to feel that we're not good enough. So um, what I do is I spend time looking at the triggers. So I, it, it doesn't come up for me very often now, and, and people do say, well, does it go away completely? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I haven't found anybody um, who I work with that it has gone away for completely. But essentially, as I said, there are things that bother me five years ago don't bother me now. So uh, it, it's a progression, and the progression is a journey to seeing who I am and what I'm capable of and gradually accepting um, the qualities that I've got and getting my ego out of the way, if that makes sense, and then saying, okay, well, this is what I'm good at. Somebody else is really good at this. Somebody else is really good at that. And I've um, stopped comparing myself because what I do and how I show up is very different to how somebody else shows up, and we all have values. So for me, taking the comparison out of the story has been um, fantastic. So I look to the triggers and see what, what triggers me into feeling not good enough, and then I explore behind those um, and see what might um, what might be causing that to be a trigger for me, and that's the area that I work on. Is it possible that because people are keeping up appearances, you mm-hmm. have got somebody who comes across very confident, somebody who's very self-aware, somebody who's a driver of success, they have this perception but inside that perception is masking the imposter syndrome. Have you found that there are people who, because of that perception, they have to keep up appearances, they then don't allow themselves to sort of think about themselves and their own imposter syndrome? Can that be like a symptom of this? Um, so, so keeping up appearances and looking outwardly um, confident is certainly a big part of it. And um, a lot of guys are taught... When they, so the men and women both experience it, and men, um, we experience it differently. Men are brought up a bit differently, and I don't know how this is going to change with the generations, but essentially men have been brought up to be successful because if they want to have a family and, and, and children, then they've got to be able to put a roof over their head. That's, I know that's quite traditional. Essentially, one of the, the factors that um, has influenced the way that men experience the imposter syndrome is that they learn to fake it till they make it. 
And so they put themselves out there strong and confident. And a lot of the clients that I work with, they don't feel that way at all inside. And it's really difficult for them because they, they've they got to this level, they're successful, and, and for them to own up and say, but I don't feel successful, I don't feel happy, I don't feel like my life is meaningful, is quite challenging. Uh, I think for women, they're a lot more um, likely to have the conversation about it. So, uh, you know, while they certainly, and, and while they'll certainly, and many of them will still do the fake it till they make it, but many of them are much more comfortable um, pulling back and, and, um, and, and not revealing themselves or not putting themselves into a situation where they would be exposed. So um, they certainly are less likely to um, to put themselves out there until they, they think that they're perfect. You've probably heard that expression when you talk about um, men and women. You know, men will go for a job and, and they've got three out of ten of the capabilities that are being sought and they think that the company is lucky to have them, whereas a woman won't often go for a job until she's got the ten out of ten. So, I mean, that's that's a, a, an urban myth and uh, there's a lot of truth to it as well. So for guys, yeah, that, that really is um, quite challenging. It's half time on the Mojo Show and time to pause. For a cause. Hi guys, my name is Joel Pilgrim and I'm from the organisation OneWave. We're raising awareness for mental health through surfing and the wellness of the ocean. The idea is to get together and to start conversations around mental health and to really help people understand that it's absolutely okay to not be okay. We dress up in fluoro and we meet up at beaches all around the world at Fluoro Friday at 6.30 in the morning on Fridays. And uh, we've also got the OneWave surfing experience for people with high mental health needs to get together and really feel what it's like to learn how to surf and to turn their life around through um, you know, recovery a functional recovery in a real way. So get on our website, onewayisallittakes.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to love your support. There's also a chance to donate and to change people's lives. And and I guess um, the, the fact of the matter is the only way we're going to really change an issue that so many people battle alone, being mental health, is by standing strong together. This is a test of the Mojo Broadcast System, the Mojo Radio Show. Hearing you speak today, Suzanne, it seems that knowing yourself very well or having having self-awareness to the point that you you understand that about yourself is a great way to ward off the imposter syndrome how how does one build that self-awareness how do you get to know yourself and that's the reason I ask the question is because it seems like for 20 years perhaps you didn't but now the last eight years since you've been specialising in this area, it seems that you are now a lot more self-aware, a lot more in touch with yourself. How would someone do that? Well, um, you're absolutely aware. Uh, the word is aware. So it's about noticing when I feel that I'm not good enough. And um, journaling is always a great way to do it because you can then look back. We don't always – we think we're going to remember, but we don't always remember – so basically, what, um, when did this occur and what was going on around me and why did I respond that way? Because a lot of times, you know, there's, um, there's a situation that occurs and we have a response and unless we unpack it, we think it's the situation that we're responding to. We don't realize it's the interpretation that we've had of the situation that we're responding to. So the more we can pull apart what's actually going on, the more we can see what we need to address. So it's like a complex problem. You know, you break it down into simple problems and then you sort of address those uh, those particular areas. So um, noticing when it's happening, um, notice what's going on around you, notice 
um, uh, from your own um, experience, I guess, what what was it that actually triggered you? And and I often will just write down what was going on, and then I'll get an emotional hit on something that that was was what upset me. And, and now I'm a lot faster at it than I was in the earlier days. But essentially, when I know what it was that um, triggered me, then I can start to explore behind that and say, okay, well, why would that have upset me? Why would that bother me? What must I believe that that was something that set me into that feeling of not being good enough? So it's a gradual unpacking of those sorts of things. Sometimes um, I get my clients to sit down and write down some of their history. So, um, you know, what, what, was, um, what was going on for you as a child? What kind of family you raised in? What kind of beliefs did the family hold? Those kinds of things, because they can also provide context or um, how the imposter syndrome might show up for them. Um, so, so basically, yeah, we're noticing that. But then it's also about realizing that a lot of things um, around the imposter syndrome are very externally driven. You know, that's that term, external frame of reference. So I don't know that I'm good enough unless other people are telling me that um, because I haven't got that feeling inside myself. So what we need to do is build that feeling inside ourselves, build that feeling of... Um, self-esteem, because the whole thing about the imposter syndrome it is, it is about self-esteem, the state of low self-esteem. It's not about confidence. Confidence is, relates to our abilities, and confidence is an outcome of self-esteem. So it, self-esteem is all about how we see ourselves. We need to start seeing ourselves differently, seeing ourselves more realistically, um, and to recognize that um, that we have capabilities and qualities that are fabulous and amazing, and we need to see those and reclaim them. So it's uh, it's it's a combination of all of those sorts of things. Um, but building resilience is a certain part, certainly a part of it. I get my clients to uh, look at for the silver lining in absolutely anything that happens, and um, you know, not not to deny the, the challenge that they've been experiencing, but to look. Um, beyond the challenge to say, okay, well, yeah, that wasn't a great experience, but what can I get out of that? What can I learn from that? Um, so it's just constantly looking for feedback in so many different ways from our own experiences, from other people's responses, from other people's feedback, from the way our life turns out. And we can then say, well, is this what we, what I really want? Um, or do I want something different? In which case, what am I doing now that's leading to um, life being this way? And how can I change that? So it's a quick rundown, very quick rundown. <laughs> Earlier in the interview, you talked about syndrome and being something which is global, a global issue and that it, we can be suffering from this syndrome no matter where we are in the world. And mm-hmm. I guess something I'm curious about is, is it your belief that you can catch the syndrome or be given the syndrome by someone else? Uh, by our parents and our caregivers, certainly. Um, I don't think it's something you can catch. I mean, if you're playing with that word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can somebody else take you to that place where the imposter wasn't present, but because of my interaction with somebody else, either face-to-face or through social or whatever, I now am suffering from the imposter syndrome? Okay. Um, so so essentially, and, and I'm not a psychologist, so I do need to say that, but essentially it's from my experience and from my research and, and, and sitting and thinking about this a lot over the last eight years, what I believe happens is that as when we're, when we're born, to go back to that lovely innocent um, child that, that is... is 
all the possibilities at that stage. Um, we are raised and conditioned by our parents. Um, although, do, although the scientists do say now that um, our personality is more than 50% related to DNA. So um, there are some aspects of our personality that impact um, whether we'll experience the imposter syndrome. But when, when we um, then are um, you know, raised by our families, there are three factors that can impact whether we're going to experience it. The first one is whether one of our parents or caregivers or both of them um, is driven by that's that um, tendency to set an ideal that we can't actually even describe. We, you know, somebody says, well, what does perfection look like? We don't know, but we just know we're not there. And so when we look at what we've achieved in a particular context, then we look, instead of saying, oh, well, how fabulous, look what I've done and look how much I've improved, what we tend to do if we're driven by perfection is look at the gap between what we've in, in, uh, you know, achieved and, and what we think this ideal is, and that reinforces that feeling of not being good enough. The other, uh, the second one is actually around criticism. And uh, my generation, and I'm not sure, um, I actually don't have any children, so I'm not sure it's um, true of the, the younger generations as well. But criticism, when I was growing up, was actually all about well-intentioned motivation. You know, you could do so much better. Um, and and that's that expectation that somebody else has because they see our potential uh, and, and we're not delivering on it. So, um, again, that can actually reinforce that feeling of not being good enough. And the third one is actually when you grow up in a family with more than one child, what will happen, the parents will actually give their children um, a label. Uh, so they might be the clever one, the sporty one, the um, the bookish one, the, the pretty one, the creative one, whatever it might happen to be. And those labels which are given to us by the people that are closest to us and therefore know us best actually define us and we do our best to live up to those. By the same token, they confine us, if you know what I mean. So, so if my parents or my caregivers thought this is what I was and they had all these other choices, they didn't think that was who I was, um, then clearly that isn't who I am. So I, this, is, this is all that I am. And it takes a long time for people to let go of the original label that, they, that they've got and open themselves up to some of these other possibilities. And those are three things that impact whether we're going to experience it. And then what happens is that we have this, latent tendency just sitting there uh, and we can go through you know, most of our life and not experience it. But if we wind up in, in a situation that exposes us to something that we're sensitive to. So in my family, we grew up and, and an education was critical and an education meant that you're smarter than everybody else, which isn't necessarily true, but that was, that was the belief, that was a family belief. So one of the sensitivities that I had when I was first speaking about the imposter syndrome was around um, and not being qualified in this area. So that was why that woman, that psychologist that I referred to earlier, um, actually uh, triggered me because she was a psychologist and I wasn't. So that in that moment, it triggered me into that feeling of not being good enough. And each of us has a sensitivity um, that can come up. As I said earlier, it might be about micromanagement and, and that to me says I'm not being trusted or it might be around changing the goalposts and, and that to me might mean that what I do is never good enough. We can, it, it's what happens and how we interpret it and then, then if it's a sensitivity for us, then we are triggered into feeling not good enough and then we react and we react in, in a variety of ways that um, yeah, that protect us and are designed to reduce our vulnerability and restore some. It, I guess hearing you talk about it laying latent 
until it's triggered. I guess my question is, does does the imposter syndrome lay latent in all of us? Mm, interesting question. Um, I actually believe um, that it is, the imposter syndrome is that feeling of not being good enough. And I think we are neurologically programmed to feel that. And so the, the brief answer to your question is yes, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I think what happens is we get this you know, tap on the shoulder that says, well, this is not quite where you want it to be. Time to grow, time to change, time to do something different. Uh, and it depends on how we respond to that neurological tap, if you like. Um, and some people say, okay, well, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to climb Mount Everest. I'm going to go and get my PhD or I'm going to do something. Some other people um, may, in that instance, take that as a sign that they're not good enough and pull back. So um, I, I, I think that it is something that all of us experience. It depends on how we handle it. And how we handle it will be to a large degree influenced by the conditioning that we've been exposed to as we grew up. Uh, I'm very mindful of your time, so I've got two two quick questions, and I, I think this is terrific. I think this is, this is mm-hmm. gold-plated syndrome right here. Um, we, over the last number of years, Robbo and I have interviewed a number of people who work in the area of, health and wellness. Now, whether it be Sean Stevenson, who does a very successful podcast series, uh, Ryan Munsey from Natural Stacks, who is a health and wellness psychology guru, or even just the last couple of weeks, Derek Dellinger, who's the fermented man, who talked about the gut and food. And the -hmm. reason I bring those guys up, and there's a bunch of others we've interviewed, is that through all of it, we've talked about the fact that your mood essentially is controlled by your gut. So what you put into your system controls your mood. Have you found in your experience of working with people and yourself over the last number of years that your food intake, what you take in food and drink into your system can alleviate and or elevate your imposter syndrome? Do you, do you have any experience on that? Thinking about it, um, it's not something I've thought about, but thinking about it now as you're asking me, um, the, there is a belief that eating red meat makes us more aggressive. Um, so I suppose that it is possible that if we have a diet high in red meat, we might be more reactive than we would be otherwise. But beyond that, I'm, I'm not really able to say. Sorry. One, one final thing before we wrap up. Suzanne, I saw a piece you wrote and you talked about standing in your power. There is somebody listening to this show who goes, I buy into it. I agree with all that. I definitely have an imposter syndrome. I like what's been said, but from where I'm standing right now, I'm not feeling any power. What's the first step (laughs) in your mind to feel like you've got the power? Um, well, to take responsibility for it for a start, I think that when we when we place the responsibility for our life and where it is uh, in the hands of other people, we have no power. So by accepting responsibility and accountability and saying, well, I can't change what comes at me, I can change how I respond to it, uh, that's powerful because then at least I can do something with that. I can choose how to respond so that certainly is a large part of it. Um, and I think that um, you know, when, when we can take responsibility for that, then we can we, we see and we, and we can see who we are and we can see the, the talents and capabilities that we bring, then we can kind of create the, the, the world that we want uh, to a large degree. 
get my clients to um, to hold out their hand in front of them and put reality in one hand, usually the left hand, and possibility in the other. And I think that um, it's about recognizing where we are right now and, and saying, okay, well, maybe this isn't quite what I want. Uh, maybe this is um, uh, this is not exactly where I thought I'd be in my career, which is what a lot of people say back to me when I'm talking to them about imposter syndrome. Uh, and, and nonetheless, what I would like to achieve is I would like to have a successful business or I would like to reach the top of my um, career ladder in my organization or I would like to have um, you know, uh, to, to go in and work for a not-for-profit and make a difference in the world. Whatever it is that we want to do, we need to move from where we are now to there and to open up those possibilities. And the way to do that is to truly see ourselves and accept responsibility for um, the way that we show up, to separate out what occurs and um, in, in our world from the way that we interpret it because it's our interpretation that we respond to, not the event. If we can not take it personally and recognize that there are certainly other interpretations than the ones that we might automatically have, um, then what we're doing is starting to break down those patterns and allow ourselves to see the possibilities to move forward. And that, I think, is powerful. I I love that idea of the two hands with one hand's got reality, one hand's got possible. I think that's gold. In fact, Robbo, I go so far as to say yeah. that two hands, it's gold fingers. Ah, uh, <laughs> like, what, like what I've done there. <laughs> I do. I can see that. Yeah. I can see where you're going. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm, it's oh, working, yeah. but I'm I can see where you're going. Where the fingers are going. <laughs> try, try and stay with me, kids. Try and stay with me. I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving at a pace here. We um, we reconnected after quite a while, Suzanne, through the leadership think tank, as I said at the start of the show, yes. and. One thing I find with groups like this, and as I said in the introduction, the Leadership Think Tank is, is a, an organisation which brings together people who are leaders or potential leaders going into the future. It puts them in the forum where they're amongst like-minded people and they can help each other, foster each other, share ideas, critique each other, hold each other accountable. I, I like that whole idea of it. And Yes. You'd have to think perhaps, I know you're a, you're a guest speaker for the Leadership Think Tank, but you must find that organisations like that is a great way to have counsel around you to hold your own imposter syndrome at bay. Would you agree with that? Uh, I certainly think it's a fabulous environment for people to support each other to be successful. Yes, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm not sure whether it holds the imposter syndrome at bay, but I, it depends on how honest the people are with each other, yes. which um, you know, I think sometimes can be quite difficult. But if they're genuinely giving each other feedback from a position of caring, which is certainly my experience of the leadership think tank people, um, then, yeah, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I'm a part of a, I'm a, part of a group as well. So um, oh, I get to sit and talk, yeah, and I get to sit and talk to other small business owners and have that experience with them, and, and the support is great, terrific. That's cool. Well, I'll put a link to the leadership think tank into the show notes. Uh Right next to contact details of where where could somebody who would like to speak with you, work with you, know more about you, where would you send them, Suzanne? Um, well, if they want more information on the imposter syndrome, they can go to my website, which is um, imposterhood.com. Um, but if they want to see some of the services that I offer, then they can go and have a look at purpose to profit. Dot com.au. Nice. Well, this I'm always has been happy terrific. to have a coffee conversation. Yeah, so always happy to have a coffee <laughs> conversation. This has been uh, terrific. I, I've been interested in this for a long, long time. I think it's something we all 
we all face up to at some point in our careers, some more than others. And I think this has been a, a lovely stepping stone to help people build an artillery or as one of our recent guests, Johnny Strofko said, uh, it put in your invisible tool belt that helps you deal with life in and out of work and get your mojo working, isn't it, Robbo? It is indeed. I love mm-hmm. that invisible tool belt thing. It's a great visual. Mm. Absolutely, it's great. yours is a tool belt for a fuller figured gentleman. Uh, let's see, you've got a, you've got a lot of lot of stuff hanging off yours. I like I like the six pack of Tim Tams hanging off the back of your tool belt, just in case you never know when morning tea is going to strike. No, 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 that's not the tool belt. That's the emergency belt. <laughs> that's the bat belt. That's the bat belt. <laughs> Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real treat hearing you speak, and uh, I hope to see you for a coffee soon. Yeah, thanks, Suzanne. That sounds brilliant, Gary. Thank you very much. And thanks, Robbo. Nice to talk to both of you. Take care, everyone. I'm Anna Devenna. I'm also known as the Sleep Muse. I help people get a great night's sleep. And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen to the Mojo radio show. And when they do, they fall asleep instantly. <laughs> Do we have some smart people on this show? <laughs> it's like, as opposed to the two people running I the show. I know. It's a bit sad, isn't it, really? You know, it's like, uh, you know, Lee Waters, all these all these really smart people that come on the show. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, hello. We do have some smart people on the show. The thing that is most relevant, I think, about today's show is that everybody suffers from it. Some people think it's just some people got it, some people don't got it. Everybody has it. And we need to understand that even the greats who are doing great things in business or sport, community, sustainability, child, it doesn't matter what it is, people have that imposter. Now, when I wrote Who Stole My Mojo, I called my imposter Fat Bastard because Fat Bastard stole Austin Powers' mojo. Nice of you to name me in the book, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going there. I just think it's such an important show for Mm. people to sit down and analyse that voice. So um, I thought Suzanne was terrific and I really appreciate her time today. So uh, there you go. Now, let's close this little shindig today. What uh, what have we got to close the show? Look, I I think we've got to give a quick shout out to Chuck Berry. You know, he was, he's known as one of the the innovators and the the father of rock is his- his, Godfather? Well, the father of rock and roll is what they're calling him. As in, you know, that's where that's where he spawned from. You know, people like Elvis Presley, the Rolling Stones, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bruce Springsteen, all this outpouring of emotion a week or so ago at his passing. I came across something that um, sort of opened my eyes and made me realise that, okay, gone but not forgotten, certainly. I, I came across a letter uh, that someone had put a copy of up on the internet and it's uh, addressed to Dear Chuck Berry. And it's from uh, the Cornell uh, University in New York um, on behalf of the Voyager Interstellar Record Committee. Now, back in 1986, these guys launched a rocket in the hope of finding intelligent life in space. So this thing's just out there floating through the cosmos. And what they did was they loaded music, they loaded books, they loaded all these things that the human race had created into this pod that's now floating around in the universe in the hope that intelligent life will find it and and have some understanding of us and possibly even find us. Um, so I just found I found this letter really interesting in terms of the the loss of Chuck to begin with, and then but then how his legacy can live on. It says, "Dear Chuck Berry, when they tell you that your music will live forever, you can usually be sure they're exaggerating. 
but Johnny B. Good is on the Voyager Interstellar Records attached to NASA's Voyager spacecraft. Now two billion miles from Earth and bound for the stars, these records will last for a billion years or more. Happy 60th birthday with our admiration for the music you've given to this world. Go, Johnny, go. See, my question is, why Why is he such an influence? Why did the Rolling Stones, Elvis, what was it about him? I think it was his innovation. When everyone else was zigging, singing, oh, baby, I love you so, he was out there zagging, creating rock and roll and coming up with these mature, intelligent lyrics, along with some guitar playing that still rates among the the top 10 players in the world. It was only four or five years ago that he ranked number three on the Rolling Stones list of guitar players up there with people like Slash, Angus Young, Mark Knopfler, people like that. So, I mean, you could, I guess you could also then throw Ageless in there as well, if he, if he's still sort of ranking up there with people like that. So, so innovation and creativity, I think, were the two biggest things that he brought to music. Oh, well. Let's put on a bit of uh, Chuck and close the show. So let's get out with some Chuck. I reckon we've got to play uh, a little bit of No Particular Place to Go. Right. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile My curiosity running wild Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Along in my automobile, I was anxious to tell her the way I feel. So I told her softly and sincere, and she leaned and whispered in my ear, cuddling more and driving slow, with no particular place to go. place to go So we parked way out on the Kokomo The night was young and the moon was gold So we both decided to take a stroll Can you imagine the way I felt I couldn't unfasten a safety belt Riding along in my calaboose Still trying to get her belt to loose Safety belt that wouldn't budge Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time. <laughs>